God is God and I am not, I can only see a part of the picture he's painting. How true that is. Good morning. During these final weeks of August, we want to look at the Psalms as we tackle the themes of praise, prayer, and perplexity. Some moments of our lives, some weeks of our lives, some years of our lives are filled with praise, some with prayer, but a lot of perplexity, and sometimes it's a combination of all three. The book of Psalms is God's inspired songbook. God's inspired songbook, his inspired prayer book, his inspired go-to guide in times of perplexity, and that's what we're tackling this morning. We've been singing about various responses. How should we respond to God during times of perplexity? People do all kinds of things. Some take pills. Some pout. Some pray. There's a ring of reality in the Psalms. The book of Psalms teaches us basically three things over and over again through prayer, through praise, through perplexity. The book of Psalms teaches us, first of all, who God is. Who is our God? Do you know who God is? And then it teaches us how God has communicated with us. How has God revealed himself to us in creation? How has God revealed us himself to us in his word how does God reveal himself to us even during the trials and perplexities of life God's will is being accomplished we pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we want our will to line up with God's will and then God wants us to learn how we may communicate with him how we may respond to him it is a book to guide us and we are to fill our lives and fill our prayers and fill our thoughts with God's word, God loves to hear his own words spoken back to him. We'll do more of that tonight in our study. Hebrew poetry is a great tool used by the Holy Spirit to depict the reality of life for God's people. Written over a thousand years from the time of Moses, who wrote Psalm 90, through to the time of the exile, the time of Haggai and Zechariah, we have various snapshots various songs and prayers that give us a sense of what God's people were going through. Hebrew poetry is so different. It is so unique. It is one of those tools that God, by the Holy Spirit, used to capture the essence of the reality of life. Take a look at the poetry of any culture, and you'll get a sense of what that culture values, what that culture fears, what that culture honors. Peter Craigie writes, poetry was the natural medium through which to give expression to the most profound of human feelings and insights. Prayer, praise, liturgy, wisdom, and lament were conveyed in the words of poetry. John Calvin, back in the 16th century, writes, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. We look into the Psalms, we see ourselves, we see our lives. The Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs and sorrows, fears, doubt, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont or are accustomed to be agitated. The Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the soul. So it's as if we're going to the doctor today. We're going to Anatomy 101, Spiritual Anatomy 101, as God looks at our lives, 
as God looks at the complexities and wants us to examine before him who we are, who he is, and what's going on in our lives and in our family's lives. Because a lot of our families are filled with perplexity. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 3. I've entitled this study, Praying Through Family Turmoil. Selah moments. We'll develop that word in a few moments. Psalm 3, it's a psalm of David. Notice when he fled from his son Absalom. This definitely was not a highlight in David's life. This was not the greatest time at his family reunion. There were pressures. There, were, there was conflict, family conflict. We'll talk about that a little later on. David lifts up his heart and prays, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord, my glorious one who lifts up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the jaw. You have broken the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. We're all pretty familiar, I guess, with fairy tales. You know, the beautiful damsel meets the handsome prince. They get married, and they all live. You know the same fairy tales as I do. Fairy tales may be great stories to share with our children. They're fun to read. They're exciting. They're happy-ending stories. But the reality of family life demands truth. We need to hear from God. We need to come to God. We need to, to take God's word when our family lives are filled with perplexity. We're, we're not left to figure this out by ourselves. We're not left to live family lives mostly on our own with a little help from God. Here, David, in the complexity of what he's facing, casts his entire situation into God's hands. If God doesn't do something about it, there's no further hope. Running through this text, you saw the word selah. The word selah is one of those tough words in the book of Psalms, but it's an important word to understand because it, it gives a sense of progression. It gives a sense of musicality. It gives a sense of purpose in the writing of these various songs of praise and, and expressions of perplexity and, and prayers to God. It's a term of uncertain origin of meaning. It occurs 71 times throughout the Psalms. Some suggest it is a liturgical musical mark. In other words, it was a mark designed for the worshipers in their liturgy, as it were their bulletin for the day. They didn't have bulletins in those days, but in the liturgy, in the structure of the service, it was a guide, it was a musical rest to assist the musicians in leading the congregation in worship. The Amplified Bible adds these words, to pause and calmly think about that. So you read those lines, you read part of the prayer, and then you stop, you pause, and calmly 
Think about that. When, when we see the word in a psalm, we should pause to carefully weigh the truth that we have just read. Let it sink in. Let it impact us. Let us give thought to our response. Because if you're like me, you read the Bible too quickly. We're in a hurry. And now with all the electronic assistance that we have for Bible reading, we can read it even faster and faster. Just get it done. No, the Psalms call us to this sober reflection. It is, it is a musical interlude where we are to pause and think about what was just said or sung. Pause and watch for some visual demonstration of what was said. Psalm 3 is the first psalm, you'll notice, ascribed to David, although we saw last week that Psalm 2, according to the New Testament, was penned by him as well. David is the author of approximately 50% of the psalms. About 72 or 73 psalms come from his pen. It's the first psalm also to bear a superscription. Those are the little words following the title. A title which is related, related to an episode in David's life. A specific event, a specific set of circumstances, 13 or 14 of them through the entire book, that describe for us exactly what was going on, takes us back into the books of history, and traces for us the circumstances, the reality of the situation David was facing when he prayed, when he praised, when he called out to God to do something in the midst of some dark hour in his life. It's the first also of the lament psalms. It's a psalm, a lament psalm is, is really a cry of despair, a, a, a cry of anger, a cry of protest and doubt this is not your ordinary prayer. This is the kind of prayer that people around you in your prayer group or even in your family might feel uncomfortable if you prayed. It's not your ordinary prayer. It's not now I lay me down to sleep or pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know, that kind of prayer. No, th this is an intense pouring out of despair and anger. The situation is so dark. The darkness has rolled in and the, the, the psalmist here, David, is desperate for God's help. Those who receive God's help are those who seek it diligently. God is a rewarder, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Does that mark our lives? Would you describe yourself as as someone today who believes that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him and as a result, you are a diligent seeker of God. Look at these words penned by D.A. Carson. There is no attempt in Scripture to whitewash the anguish of God's people when they undergo suffering. They, they, they don't pretend to live in a world that isn't filled with reality. They argue with God. <laughs> David does that. They, they complain to God. They weep before God. Theirs is not a faith that leads to dry-eyed stoicism, but to a faith so robust it wrestles with God. 
Now listen, I know the reality, if you've been raised within a Christian family, and some of us have, you, you, you've been taught to approach God with reverence, you've been taught perhaps even a formula for prayer. But the prayers of the Bible don't fit the formula. There's a lot of rawness, as it were. There's a lot of raw emotion poured into the Psalms, and God the Holy Spirit allowed it. Let's get real with God. Let's not pretend. I've shared with some of you the reality number of years of teaching a young believers class, and, and uh, this woman offered to pray that particular morning, and she, she had all the prayers that she'd figured out, maybe through imitation of some of us in leadership, and then she stopped and she said, Lord, I'm sorry I didn't mean a word of that. And then she prayed and she told God what exactly was on her heart that morning. The reality of her health situation, the reality of the conflict within her family, the struggle, the depression she was grappling with. We heard from God that day. We met with God. Here was a woman forgetting those around her, pouring out her heart to God. There's something real about that, isn't there? What's the setting? This, this is a morning psalm. Many uh, scholars see it as that, a morning hymn of one in distress. What's the setting? David wrote this when he's running for his life from his own son. You see, as you go back into the book of 2 Samuel, we won't take time to do that, but in 2 Samuel 11, David commits adultery and compounds the sin of adultery with murder by arranging the murder of Bathsheba's husband Uriah. And God, though he extended mercy and forgave his sin, still brought into David's life the consequence of his choices. Listen, you may be forgiven, but still have consequences from past sins. You may be forgiven. God offers forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but you still may have consequences from earlier choices you've made. You may have destroyed your health. God may or may not give that health back to you, but the guilt of the offense of the sin may be lifted. And you may have God's grace to face what you're currently facing in your life. While David was promised, as part of the judgment, he was promised trouble in his own house. His own son, Absalom, attempted to take the kingdom by force. And the, the situation became so intense, more and more people were bailing on David. More of them were, were, were leaving David's side and joining this rebellious upstart of a son named Absalom. And David left the walled fortress of Jerusalem, headed across the river, and it was a, it was a super dark time in his life. He's a broken man. His own family is falling apart. He didn't know who was with him. He didn't know who was against him, who'd defend him, who'd fight against him. And yet he's wise because even on his way out, he plans an espionage campaign. Quite an interesting strategy for leadership. He prays, but he made some tough decisions. You see, prayer doesn't exempt us from seeking counsel. Prayer, you can pray all you want, but sometimes God says, some, take some steps. Do something, seek my help, but make those hard choices for your family, for your life, for your situation. Scene one, 
as this psalm begins, David's in crisis. David's crisis. He basically lifts up his eyes and says, Lord, I have a, I have a lot of problems. You ever, done, ever pray like that? Maybe we don't want to put our hands up for fear who's with us. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. You see, back in Psalm 2, the enemies were external. The kingdoms, the nations of the world were raging against God, and David was thinking that one through, almost like a hypothetical philosophy question. Well, why do the nations rage and the peoples imagine the vain thing? And he pours out his heart to God in that. But here, the problems are not external enemies, they are internal. To see your enemies increasing and your friends decreasing is challenging, to say the least. And in these three statements, with typical Hebrew poetic repetition, he drives it home to God. He wants God to know, I have a huge problem. Many, 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 many are rising up against me, many foes, and many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. You see, the key issue, the large questions that were crushing or perplexing, overwhelming David, were first of all the rejection of others. His own family, his own son had no use for him. That hurts. Some of you feel that pain today. His colleagues, trusted colleagues who had worked closely with him, who had served the kingdom well, now had betrayed him and gone to the other side. That hurts. But not only the rejection of others, the bigger issue that was crushing him was the rumor that God wasn't available. You see, it's one thing for a child of God to have those in their circle, their family or friends or neighborhood, abandon them. It's quite another thing when someone sort of sticks it to you and says, well, where's God? You're a Christian? What's, where's God's help to you? You say God will deliver you. I ask you, how are you representing God when you talk to, about him to other people? God is not a genie before whom we snap our fingers and he does what we command. God is not, the God of the scriptures is not a genie. He is the Lord God Almighty, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who does as he pleases. None can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? The issue in prayer is coming to a point of surrender, isn't it? Even Jesus in the garden, do you recall that agonizing scene as an angel appeared from him from heaven strengthened him his sweat was like great drops of blood he's in agony he prayed more earnestly and he cried out my God my God not my will but yours be done let this cup pass from me take it from me nevertheless the ultimate issue for the child of God for even the son of God is surrender your will your way that's prayer that's the Christian faith now, is that easy? We'll have a testimony service sometime to see how easy it was. How easy is it to surrender? Trace the battles, trace the conflicts through 
history. How easy has it been for the surrendering side? How easy is it for you to surrender all to him? The rejection of others, the rumor that God had withdrawn him, the, the enemies of David, you can read the details in 2 Samuel, the enemies of David were needling him. God will not deliver him. God's through with him, though he is God's anointed. That hurt. What does God call David to? What does he call us to during trials? He calls us to what I'm suggesting and borrowing from a commentator, the sila of trouble. I'm calling it the rest of difficulty. There's something when the pressure's on, when you're overwhelmed, that you just have to stop, take inventory. And so we're urged, we're called upon in this psalm to take time to reflect on the reality of our situation. We, we can't just close our eyes, put our head in the sand, and pretend our family's not falling apart. And we can try that. Everyone else is saying, crisis, crisis, red light, yellow light, whatever, and we're merrily, you know, how are they? Oh, fine. No, let's be real as the scripture is real. Let's acknowledge, as David did, there's a problem. That's the first step to getting help, isn't it? To acknowledge before God you have a need. Well, David moves now to declare his confidence in the next two verses, verses three and four. How do you face your crisis? How do I face a crisis of faith? How do you handle those times in your life when you're caught off guard by some situations like a big wave that comes over and, and swamps you, takes you out, knocks you off your feet? David says, David's counsel by the Spirit of God is declare your faith in God. Here's the heart. Here's the heart of David's prayer. He knows he has critics, many of them, but his eyes aren't on his foes. His eyes are on his faithful Lord. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, oh, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see, verse 3 is his strategy in prayer. Verse 3 is where he lays it down, where he makes some declarations. But you, speaking to God, but you are a shield around me, O Lord. God is my shield. Is he yours? God is my shield. He protects me. I'm not, I don't need Absalom's protection. I'm in God's hands. The future is not in my son, my rebellious son's hands. It's in God's hands. That's a decision of trust. That's a decision where you acknowledge that God's ways are not your ways. He's my shield. He protects me. God, secondly, is my glorious head lifter. Do you need a head lifter this morning? My glorious one who lifts up my head. God restores perspective. You see, the world looks different when you're looking at it from God's perspective. That's what Psalms is all about. If you learn nothing from these Psalms, and I'd encourage you to have a strategy of working through this tremendous book, you will learn 
you will learn that God's perspective is radically different than yours. And it's a good thing. God is God, and I am not. I can only see a part of the picture he's painting. So when we're discouraged, typically our heads hang down. We become downcast And God in his grace, God in his mercy, lifts up our heads, gives us courage to face the future, gives us strength, gives confidence. The question this morning is, your head down or up? And if it's up, have you allowed God to lift it up or is it up because you think you can handle it by yourself? Because there are people who do walk around with great confidence. Everything's great wonderful because they haven't been tested you know who can't praise God on a sunny day anybody you come back from work those of us still in the working mode and you got a promotion I mean who's not going to praise God how are things going today fantastic this is the great I work at the best company in all the world how about you come home and there's just been a big blow up at work or you've been downsized and you're not working there anymore You get to the office that morning and the boss says, don't take off your coat. Come with me, give me your keys. When the darkness closes in, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Only God can give you that perspective. So here is David's confidence. God is my shield. God is my glorious headlamp. He's my glory. I find my glory in him. The real issue for us, the real issue for David was how well did he know God? How well do you know God? Your God. To the Lord I cry aloud. The issue is how much do I want God's help? To the Lord I cry aloud and he he answers me from his holy hill. God's chosen place of dwelling was the place of worship. The portable tent, what was called the tabernacle, the tent of worship, had been relocated by David. That's a whole other story about some of the lessons David learned about handling the ark, if you know his life, and recall that detail. But the, the ark was placed on inside the tabernacle on the holy hill on one of the mountains around Jerusalem called Mount Zion referred to in chapter 2 though David is leaving he has left the the walled fortress of Jerusalem he's headed out just to get away physically take some practical steps to escape the calamity he's still confident that God can go the distance I don't have to be in Jerusalem to get God's help. I don't have to be at the ark. God still answers prayer. I'm away from Jerusalem, but I'm still in God's hands. The issue is for us, the issue I ask myself is, how close am I to God? How near are you to God? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you're not as close to God as you used to be, guess who moved? We did. 
We did. But David fears no distance. His confidence is in this sila of faith. He rests his case in diligently seeking God. He's pouring out his praise. He's pouring out his thanks. Why? Because things are, are so great? No, because God is still God. God hasn't changed. He's the same today as, as yesterday. Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. And the God who saw him, if you know David's life, the God who helped him handle bears and lions and, and huge giants that were slightly oversized, right? Goliath can handle this situation. So rest yourself, David says, oh my soul, rest in God. Selah. Second Selah. The Selah of trouble. What's the next scene? David's confidence. David's confidence. Now we move to David's comfort. In these final four verses, he tracks and declares again some of the rest that he's taking. Some of the settledness that has come to him even through this situation. God is still God. God's help has been available. Yes, the crisis, he's in the midst of the crisis when he pours out his prayer. He's declared his trust in God. Now he takes comfort, further comfort, further encouragement to go on in the journey. Because what the devil wants you to do, what he wants me to do, is quit seeking God. If God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, then if you stop diligently seeking, you're going to miss the reward. I grew up in an area of northern Ontario, northeastern Ontario, filled with minerals, all kinds of minerals. And the classic story up there is, is the miner who is out prospecting, and, and as he is about to strike, he has a heart attack, and he dies with his pick over a, a, a mineral deposit. And the man who comes along and finds him hits the, the, the deposit and finds gold. What's the illustration? We quit too soon. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What's the church? The church is the company of people who encourage one another to diligently seek God. We sing about him. We praise him. We pray for each other. Why? Because without the encouragement, we'll drop off. Not everybody who's here this year was here last year and some who were with us last year aren't here what happens sometimes we become weary and well-doing sometimes when the darkness closes in we don't say bless the lord we say i'm out of here ever known anyone like that someone who felt overwhelmed some situation where is god when it hurts people ask that question that's a real question and the people of God gather around not with simplistic answers, not with, oh, there, there, don't be asking questions. It's, we don't understand, but we're going to pray. I tell you, Job's comforters, Job's friends were a great help that week when they sat in silence. And then they started to talk, didn't they? That's a whole other book of wisdom. David has faced his crisis. He has declared his confidence now he rests in comfort. What is he comforted with? Three things. He's comforted with God's gift of sleep, 
sustenance and salvation. Verse five, I lie down and sleep. <laughs> Ladies are gonna say, of course a man wrote this, right? Any men have trouble sleeping? Why would he tell us this? Because he's found rest in God. Are you able to sleep during a crisis? Not fall asleep when you should be doing something, but so trust God that you're able to put your head down at night and realize your life is in God's hands. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, why pray when you can worry? I mean, why not worry, right? Why worry when we can pray? Too often for us, our plans come before our prayers. We have all kinds of plans. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. And where's the seeking of God as the people of God? I lie down and sleep. I wake again. Why? Because I've got such a great regimen worked out with Brian Hooper. Uh, he runs a fitness program, in case you don't know. Some, some of the folks here are in that. Listen, the Bible does not speak ill of exercise. But David's confidence, David's rest, David's comfort was in the fact that the Lord sustained him. God is seeing me through. So someone gets close enough to hear our heartbeat, someone comes alongside us who's watching us through the trial, and they're saying, how are you coping? And you say, with God's help, by God's grace, with the strength that only he provides. You see, our unbelieving friends, some of you here today without Christ, how are you coping with life without God? It's a challenge even with God, is it not? I lie down and sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. How many blessings have I missed by conceiving my own scheme only to see God frustrate that scheme later and work out his own plan? Anybody been there? We have life all figured out. We're going to do this and this and this, and then God somehow interrupts that plan. Because God is God, and I am not, and I can only see a part of the picture he's painting. What he gives or what he takes shows his will. He allows some things. He permits us to do some things. He keeps us from other things. Why? Because God is good. And God is good when I do well on an exam, and God is good even when I bomb an exam. And God is good when I get a promotion, and God is good even when my job gets cut. Why? Because God is God. There are lessons to be learned here, aren't there? The life of faith is one of assurance of God's help that moves us from despair to hope. In instead of feeling abandoned by God, David abandons his problems to God. Verse 6, here's his declaration. I will not fear. I choose not to fear even tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Why? Because 
God's on my side. He'll see me through. Prayer renews us faith, does it not? Does it not renew your faith? Prayer is a means of grace. The Lord has been sustaining David, and David has learned these patterns over years to say, God will see me through. And with quickening intensity, the the enemies have said, listen, God won't deliver you. God doesn't care about you. And he says, yes, he does. God will. I declare this based on his word, based upon what I know of God, who he is, what he's done for me. I declare God will see me through. Now, it might not be in the way that I have figured out. It certainly won't be a fairy tale ending. But my life will end with God's help. The enemies are saying God will not deliver him. David takes this to the Lord in prayer. Look at the urgency in verse 7. Look, this is real praying. This is earnestly seeking God. Arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. And then he recalls that God has looked after his enemies in the past. Pretty dark picture, isn't it, for the enemies? You struck all my enemies on the jaw. That would hurt when God does it. God took the enemies out in his time. And let me remind you, if you don't know David's story, God took Absalom out in his time. A very dark chapter in the life of this king. He went from running and fleeing, getting out of Jerusalem and heading across the Jordan River to brokenness as he finds out that Absalom has been put to death. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, would to God I would have died for you. And he's a broken man. It didn't quite work out the way he planned. Did it? Lord, look after this situation for me. Please deliver me. The issue is God provides salvation. Victory belongs to the Lord. Notice verse 8 as we close. From the Lord comes deliverance. Victory is a God-given gift. The blessing of God results in deliverance. God does not deliver us from our troubles, but delivers us through our troubles. There's a huge difference. He does not snatch the troubles out of our life. He may leave you with the perplexity, but move in with his presence. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. So this is the seal of triumph. This is the end. God has seen him through one more day. God has seen him through one more situation. Is this the last one? Oh no. There will be others. But God has seen him through. And now he rests by taking time to reflect on the blessing of God in in his trials. Have you done that? You see, when the trials are on, when the pressure is on, I sort of lose track of the blessings. Anybody been there? I just kind of forget that God is still giving me air to breathe and giving me water and still giving me even encouragement from other people. 
I need to count my blessings, don't I? Don't you? Name them one by one. It'll surprise you what the Lord has done. Can we bow together in prayer? And as we go to prayer, I wonder, just before we, the, we're led in a song of response, if there's anyone here who would simply say, Pastor Keith, would you, would you pray for me? Would you pray for our family with all of our heads bowed? Let's just seek the Lord just for a moment. Perhaps you're saying this morning, would you call out to God on our behalf, on my behalf? Would you just slip up your hand that I may pray for you? Thank you. Amen. Let's turn to God, Father, in heaven. Thank you for your help that is available to those who seek it. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we would join together, Father, with, to pray for these brothers and sisters who are seeking you, whose lives and whose situation is filled with perplexity. We pray, O oh God, that you would meet them today. May they leave this place assured that God is still on his throne, that God will provide for them what is needed. May they declare even in faith, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can men do to me? I pray that you would meet us, Lord, and as we respond to you in praise, as we pour out our hearts, now we pray that we would find the grace that is so necessary for daily living. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure every one of us here have mysteries in life. Things that have happened or are happening that we do not understand. May I remind you in the name of Christ that God has a purpose. God has a plan. Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. Peter Marshall, the former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, wrote these words. God will not permit any troubles to come upon us unless he has a specific plan by which great blessing can come out of the difficulty. Johnny Erickson Tata, I'm sure no stranger to many of us, injured, became a quadriplegic through a diving accident in California many years ago, wrote these words, I would rather be in a wheelchair with God than out of a wheelchair without him. So how do we close today? How do we conclude this service? May I encourage you, as a brother in Christ, if indeed you are in Christ, if you're not in Christ, may you turn to Christ today. But if you are in Christ, may I urge you to make use of the Selah moments in your life. Several of the pastors are here today. They'll come to the front. I'm going to ask them to. Perhaps those of you who ask for prayer would like just specifically to pray with one of them and pray that God would meet you, provide for you His grace in this time of need. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble we pray for those in this congregation today this morning who are feeling overwhelmed father grant hope grant perspective those around like the enemies of David have often said God has abandoned you God will not see you through. Oh, Father, we declare in 
grace. We declare because your word reminds us that God delights to answer prayer. God is near to the brokenhearted. A broken and a contrite spirit, O oh God, you will not despise. So meet us in this hour. Lord, help us to use wisely those sila moments, those times of rest and reflection, the times of trial, the times when you are teaching us to trust you. And then as we look back even through and we triumph only by your grace, Lord, help us to learn the lesson you're teaching us. Protect your word as it has been implanted in our hearts today. Guide us in our response, for we pray in Jesus' name.